All right, good morning. I'm supposed to give an update on the coffee. It's, it's still brewing a little slowly, but it, it's getting there. Uh, if you need that, I think we're getting a thumbs up from the back now. So if you need that coffee that JJ sold to you guys, it, it's available. Um, we're, we're glad that you're here today. I hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. Our family did. Obviously, any time around grandparents sets our kids back a solid week, discipline structure-wise. So uh, hopefully next week we'll be back to normal in the Kinder household. But uh, we're excited that you're here, and we, again, hope you had a great holiday. Um, this morning, I, I want to start off by telling a story from when I was in middle school. And you're not going to believe this, uh, but I was, I was super cool in middle school. Um, anyway, so hard laughs, but I'll take it. But anyway, um, I, in middle school, I, I was a, uh, a unique kid, I think is probably what the term now you identify as. I was, I was trying to be a lot of different things. And so I had bleach blonde hair, super cool. It was hip, I promise. Look in the 90s, everyone was doing it. So we've got bleach blonde hair, kind of the frosted tips. We did that for a little bit too. Um, had braces, so that was, things were going my way. And uh, along with the braces and the bleach blonde hair, uh, I, I begged my dad to let me get my, my ear pierced, which was this huge family drama that we had that he eventually let me, you know, do this thing. So I still have my, my left ear pierced. I don't wear it. The, the hole's closed up or whatever. But um, again, super cool. You're getting the vibes. And I went through this phase, too, where I would wear what are now known as, like, kind of tall tees, but, like, very large T-shirts. And it was just this, this weird vibe that I was setting off to basically everyone around me of, like, what's going on with this kid? Uh, who is he trying to model his life after? And the truth is, no idea. Um, but that brings you to kind of the, the middle school Bryce picture that I'm trying to paint this morning. And what was really kind of popular when I was in middle school, I'm from uh, what I consider God's country, the Commonwealth of Kentucky, but in, in my small coal mining community that I grew up in, what was popular were for kids to, when they had birthday parties, to, and you're not going to believe this, rent like the Fraternal Order of Police Lodge or like the VFW and then have a dance party. Um, again, calm down, this was super cool. Um, and we would do this for basically anybody. And what would happen, and you're not going to believe this either, that in the small town that I grew up in, not a ton of DJs. So it was normally like someone's dad who like played music, you know, who let the dogs out, um, the Macarena, big hits. And so we would do these parties for people's birthdays. And we just kind of rotate. We're like, you know, one weekend, John's birthday is at the, you know, the Fraternal Order Police Lodge. And then you know, a couple weeks later, someone else's birthday is at the VFW. And, and that was just kind of what we did. And we thought that we were all cool with frosted tips and braces, like we were living our best lives. And so now that I've painted this picture of how cool I was and how cool my middle school life was, uh, entering into this story that we were at somebody's birthday party at the Fraternal Order of Police Lodge. And we're dancing, best night of my life. We're doing the Macarena. I mean, we're, we're identifying who, in fact, let the dogs out. I mean, that was the vibe of the night. And I'm, again, I'm in the seventh grade. Now, in, in seventh grade situations, when the slow jam started, things got awkward, right? Because you're seventh grade kids. Thank you, Jamie. Jamie's like, yes, very awkward. But so I'm in this situation. I'm in the seventh grade, and a slow song comes on, Casey and JoJo's All My Life. 90s fans, anybody with me? Okay, some of you know the song. Great hit. Go listen to it later. But the song comes on, and I start dancing with somebody. Now, it's all, you know, it's, you know, elbows are locked. Like, it's kind of the weird swaying that you would do in the seventh grade. 
we're dancing to Casey and JoJo, awesome song. And this individual in my peripheral approaches, kind of the person I'm dancing with, and he says, are you dancing with my girl? Now, I've already painted this picture of growing up in western Kentucky, not in like the saloons in, you know, the great, <laughs> the, the old west. And he walks up to me, and I'm in the seventh grade. Now, I've always been a smart aleck. I've always been sarcastic. And I was unprepared for this dialogue that I was about to have with this fellow seventh grader who asked me if I was, quote, dancing with his girl. And I looked at him, and I just said, what? Again, like, where are we? We were at the Fraternal Order of Police Lodge dancing with, you know, John's dad as the DJ. Like, what are we doing here? And, and I said, what, more so out of the, like, the audacity of, like, what a ridiculous question. To ask. We're in the seventh grade. We're, none of us should have, you know, girls or boyfriends. Like, we're just hanging out. We're friends. He proceeds, and, and this is, you know, hand on the Bible, he proceeds to punch me in the face. Now, in my, <laughs> somebody's laughing hard, it hurt, um, so your, your humor kind of downplays that, but he proceeds to punch me in the face. Now, you talk about killing the mood of a seventh grade birthday party. Get, someone getting punched in the face will do that. Mood is killed. No one's even dancing to Casey and JoJo anymore. John's dad is like, hey, what's going on here? I, I have this reaction to where like my eyes are swelling up, and I kind of remove myself. I, we still don't know medically what was happening. But I, I get punched in the face. I go to the corner because I'm like, my eyes are swelling. I've got to figure out what this is. Everyone leave me alone. And, and I'm, I'm crying in this corner because this is the first time I've ever been punched in my, in my face. This is the first fight that I've ever been in, and, and coincidentally, like, the last one as well. Um, you know, if you experience that, you're like, I'm good. Um, don't need this in my life. But I go to the corner, I'm crying, and I'm like, what in the world just happened? And my best friend growing up, his name was Tyler, Tyler approaches this guy. Now, I'm not condoning this, but there was a lot of biblical justice that happened, Old Testament-wise, to this individual. A little eye for an eye situation. But I'm telling the story because when I'm in the corner, like, why did I just get punched in the face? I'm crying. I'm, like, weirdly, like, trying just to figure out everything that just happened in my life. My best friend growing up stood up for me. And he walked up to the kid and was like, what are you doing? Like, this is not the okay corral. Why are we punching people? Why are we, you know, is this your gal? Like, what are we doing here? And he stood up for me. And outside of my family, like, that was the first time in my life that I remember a situation where, like, I needed to know that somebody was for me. Like, that somebody was willing to defend me, to stand up for me, to be my friend in a situation where, like, I needed somebody because I could not figure out what was going on. And it's a moment in my life that I remember, obviously, because of the violence, but more so because of how much that meant to me, that somebody was on my side and that somebody was for me. Now, this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. So if you want to turn there, that's where we're going to be just the entire time this morning. But Luke 19 is the story of Zacchaeus. And it's a story that I think represents that, that human need to know that somebody is for you. I love the story of Zacchaeus. I love, you know, teaching it to kids, using it in student ministry. And I think what's fascinating to me the most about the story of Zacchaeus is it's, it's not for children. It's for teenagers. It's an adult story. Like, Luke did not write or record the story of Zacchaeus thinking, like, this will be an excellent children's church lesson one day. 
That's not why Luke records this story. He records it because there's adult implications, adult learning things from this story. And I want to revisit that this morning. And so the text begins in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector and was wealthy. Now, in our, I've got a map here. I love maps. Uh, I love finding the tiniest maps on the internet so that you can't see anywhere I'm talking about. Um, should have thought about this before I put this map up there. But if you look kind of in the middle, that's Jerusalem, and Jericho is going to be basically northeast uh, on that map. And so Jesus is coming from Jericho to Jerusalem. And in the trajectory that Luke is talking about, this is Jesus' kind of final descent into Jerusalem. Uh, he is basically making his way to Jerusalem via Jericho in order to die. Jesus knows this, and this is an important detail in the life of Jesus. Because it's one of the last exchanges that we have that Jesus has in his ministry is with Zacchaeus. So we're, we're kind of getting the, the flags on the play of like, this is an important thing, an important interaction that we as adults should remember. But so Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, I, I mentioned a second ago that, that often this book, the story is used for children. But Luke doesn't want us to go there yet. Luke wants us to understand the implications of who Zacchaeus is before he gets into any of the, the, the silly things that we often look at with the life of Zacchaeus. And so we're, we're told that he's in Jericho. Jericho is a, a, a crucial financial region for the Romans. Uh, it, was, it was very vital for them to control this region. There was a lot of commerce and trade that happened in Jericho. And so for Zacchaeus to be there makes complete sense. He's a chief tax collector. Where would the tax collectors go? Where all the money is. So it's, we're setting this up to let us know like, why Jesus is going there, why Zacchaeus is there, why it's important that Zacchaeus is there. There's, there's political and socioeconomic things that are happening there for Zacchaeus too that, that, that's kind of helping us get to why we are there in the story. And the text says that he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He, he's good at his job. He is, he is good at collecting taxes from people. He's made a lot of wealth from this job. And so we're getting kind of these pieces together before we even get to the thing that we kind of know the most about with Zacchaeus. And in verse 3, it says, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, this is kind of where my issue with the story of Zacchaeus and how it's told often, that's kind of where it develops. Because here we, we focus on the height of Zacchaeus. He's a short individual. I don't take offense to it. But I acknowledge that this is like a humorous thing for a lot of people. That we focus on like, oh, Zacchaeus was short. Ha ha, he he. Like we, we make fun of him. And then that's kind of the extent of the story here. But again, Luke is not telling this story for us to mock the height of Zacchaeus. This is an adult story told for adults, recorded for adults. So why would he include this element? It's not so we can sing songs and tell this to children. It's to kind of recognize that there are things in Zacchaeus' life that maybe make him feel isolated from everybody else. I would argue that if Luke is including this, that this is often something that, that Zacchaeus was mocked for. So think about this for a second. He's the chief tax collector. He is wealthy. He is probably viewed by his peers as a betrayer because he's working for the Roman government. So they hate him for that, and then they're mocking him because he's short. 
And so all of a sudden, like, this, this child story about a wee little man was he becomes into this, like, real human being with real feelings and real emotions that feels like nobody is for him. He doesn't feel like he's got anybody on his side. But he hears that Jesus is coming to town. And do you see, like, this the human need to feel something, like, starting to develop here in the story when we recognize that Zacchaeus was a real person with real emotions and with real needs? Because he just, he wants to see who Jesus was. I, I believe that Zacchaeus probably had heard the story of Levi and how Jesus interacted with Levi, who is now Matthew, who is also a tax collector, and Zacchaeus probably looks at that situation and says, like, hey, if Jesus could do that for Levi, like, maybe he could do that for me, too. And so you get to this point in verse 3 where Zacchaeus is like, if I could just see this person, if I could just have this, this small exchange with Jesus, that maybe, that maybe just my life could change the way that Levi's does as well. And again, he's isolated, he's hated, he's mocked. He probably feels like nobody is on his side, but he believes that seeing Jesus, he could maybe feel something for the first time in a long time. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Now, if you remember the parable uh, of the prodigal son, there's this uh, dynamic that's happening when, when men run in this culture. It wasn't something that they would have customarily done. And so him running is already something out of the ordinary. But the next thing that he does is he climbs this tree. Now, this is one of my favorite pictures of Zacchaeus because the, the artist decides to use a ladder. And I don't know why, but that makes it a little less, um, I don't know, physical for me that Zacchaeus was just, I'm going to climb up the ladder to the tree. Maybe he did. I don't know. I, I don't, for some reason, I like to believe that Zacchaeus climbed the tree on his own, kind of like old school kid style, uh, versus using the ladder. The ladder, again, lessens it a little bit for me, but I'm not in the story. But Zacchaeus climbs this tree. And this, again, when we look at how Luke's story here is often depicted to people, this is where the story, I think, becomes a lot like like childish for us. But what Zacchaeus is really doing isn't childish, it's childlike. There's a big distinction in between being childish and being childlike because we as Christians are commanded to be childlike. In Luke chapter 18, the, the chapter before the story of Zacchaeus, people were, bringing, were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked him. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. You see, it's, it's not, we're not making fun of Zacchaeus here. Zacchaeus is doing what Jesus has already commanded his followers to do, to be childlike, to seek him. If you can't find a way to, to go around, like isn't it kind of true that sometimes like we... As Christians, we get in the way of people who are trying to seek Jesus. All Zacchaeus wants to do is see Jesus, have this exchange with Jesus, but he can't get to Jesus because of the people that are already kind of on the inside. And so he has to go around and make his own way, and he finds himself in this tree. And in verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Jesus sees Zacchaeus. It's probably the first time in, in years that Zacchaeus has, been, has felt that he was seen or noticed or cared for. And 
when the text says, so he came down gladly at once and welcomed him gladly, I, I think that it was, it was a very fast thing. Like Zacchaeus jumped out of that tree and was like, let's go. I need this. I need to know that somebody is for me. I need to know that somebody cares about me. But then when we go into verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, if he's going to Zacchaeus' house, remember he's a, a wealthy chief tax collector. And so likely they are passing the houses of the people who were standing along the road waiting for Jesus. And as they walked, the houses would have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, probably to the point where they find Zacchaeus' house, which is one of the biggest houses in the community, just because of his wealth alone. So they would have walked past all of these people, and Jesus would have walked past all of their, all of their houses, all of their possessions, and, and just went with Zacchaeus. But again, you, you see this situation here where his peers, the people in Zacchaeus' community, they just view him as a sinner. They can't see past what they've defined him as. When I was working in, in Kentucky, one of my, my favorite things to do in student ministry is to eat lunch with students. I know, shocking food. But I, I love going to eat lunch with students. I love going to schools, meeting their friends. I mean, that, that's the hustle. That's the fun part about student ministry. And, and in Kentucky, I had this one student who just, he loved so hard. Like, he, he loved all of his friends. He supported them. He cheered them on. And, and, and this kid, I almost said his name, and this kid, um, Joe, um, but anyway, and this kid got to this point to where, like, he, he just wanted to share the gospel with people. And, like, it was sincere, and it was honest. But, like, with that, that sharing of the gospel also came, it was kind of a, a, a hellfire and brimstone message as well that this kid was preaching, uh, which, you know, we were like, let's rein it in just a bit. You're, you know, in the sixth grade. But he, he became this kind of, like, tiny evangelist, and it was, it was really kind of fascinating to watch um, because he would just kind of amplify things, and I would try to rein it in. And so he would come to, to church on Wednesday nights, and he would talk about this one kid at his lunch table who was claiming to be an atheist. And I remember thinking, like, man, y'all are in the sixth grade. Like, talk about, you know, like, toys and basketball or something. Like, what are y'all doing, like, dealing with this at the lunch table? And this kid would just say, like, no, Bryce, we were worried about his soul. And I was like, bring it down. This is too intense. But eventually he was like, look, come to lunch, and then you can convert him. And I was like, pause. I will come to lunch, uh, and I will introduce myself, and, like, we will have a conversation, but, like, we're not converting people, and, you know, especially in the public school. Like, you can't do that, and, like, this is the last visit I get to do, and so I was like, look, I'll come, and we'll hang out. We'll get to know each other, and we'll, we'll go from there, and so I go to the school. I sign in, and, and I'm, I'm waiting for the kids to come in the lunchroom, and I'm sitting at this table, and a lunch lady walks up to me, and she's like, hey, the boys that sit there are wild, and I was like, oh, man, I hope they're not with me. And then they were. And so I, I sit down at this table, and there's like five boys around this circular table. And it's clearly set up like, you know, an intervention type situation. And this one kid is sitting kind of away from them. The other boys have kind of a semicircle around them. And they're just leaning into this kid. Like, if you don't change your ways, and if you don't, com you know, commit to Jesus Christ, then you, you run the risk of going to hell. And I remember thinking, like, what is happening? This is insane. I should not be here. And this kid who, who is claiming to be an atheist is just over there eating his Lunchable, like putting his pizzas together. Like, you know, he's like, y'all can do this all day long. Like, I'm fine with this. But it hit me when I thought about that story. Is it, it reminds me a lot about what's happening in the story of Zacchaeus. Because grace changes, but guilt condemns. Like, those boys were never going to convert their friend by every lunch period telling him that he was going to hell or letting him know that he was a sinner 
or letting him know that he had lost his way in the sixth grade. That was never going to happen. That kid was never going to even want to go to a church because of how he was viewed by his peers. And so if you look at the story here, he has gone to be the guest of center. This is how his peers view him. This is how those boys were interacting with that kid at lunch. But in verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the, to the Lord, Lord, look, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. My question is this, what does Jesus say to Zacchaeus that gets him to this point? Because the way that Luke tells the story is everybody is pointing at Zacchaeus saying, here's a sinner, Jesus is going to the house of a sinner. And then the very next verse, Zacchaeus is like, I'm all in. I will sell everything that I've got. If I've wronged anybody, I'll pay him back four times the amount. Something happens in that conversation that Jesus has with Zacchaeus that makes him change. I believe that Jesus had a conversation that was filled with grace. Because grace changes, guilt condemns. If Jesus had gone in and said, well, Zacchaeus, like, you know, it looks like you're going to hell, buddy. I don't think... Zacchaeus would immediately say, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. That's not how it works. Grace changes, guilt condemns. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And the story ends. This is a fascinating story of what grace, like what it costs to do grace. Nothing. You see, when, when Zacchaeus offers everything to Jesus, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. He's saying the, the salvation that Jesus extends to us, the grace that Jesus extends to us, doesn't cost anything. It doesn't require anything. When Zacchaeus tries to give everything, Jesus is like, no, no, no. Like, salvation has come. Like, you're, you're trying to offer me a lot of stuff to make this equal, and it's not, that's not how it works. Because the grace that Jesus extends to us doesn't cost anything. And I love that one of the last things that Jesus says in this interaction is a reminder to Zacchaeus that, that someone is for you, Zacchaeus. Like, I know that you think you're isolated. I know that you think you're hated by your peers. I know that you think that you don't have anybody. But Jesus is saying, you are a son of Abraham. See, in Zacchaeus, even though sometimes you feel like you don't belong, you have somebody that's for you. Even though you feel like you don't have anybody on your side, you have somebody on your side. And I don't, I don't know what, what you're experiencing right now in your life. Like maybe you need to be reminded that you too were a son or daughter of Abraham, that you have somebody that is for you. Or maybe there's somebody in your life that feels a lot like Zacchaeus. And you're like, man, that, that's a sinner. You know, like maybe that's how you feel. But the reality is that if that person's in your life, what we need to be doing as Christians, as followers of Jesus, extending the same grace that Christ gives to us, to others. So if there's a Zacchaeus in your life, show them grace, show them love, and let them know that you're for them. The last scripture that I, I want to end on is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, in which uh, Paul writes, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. We, as Christians, are extended the grace that Jesus gives to us. And it's our duty, our responsibility as Christians, to in turn give that grace to our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, our fellow students.